Welcome to our very first episode of our podcast, Intersectional Conversations with Mujeres Profesionales. I am Ana, aka Latina Chica, and I am joined by two amazing co-hosts, Lisbeth and Jovita. Say hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. This is Lisbeth. Hi, everyone. This is Jovita. Today, we plan to introduce ourselves, as well as sharing a little bit about our first-year experiences earning our bachelor's degrees as first-generation women of color from working-class backgrounds. But before we do that, I want to quickly plug in the magazine and where you can find us. If you haven't checked out the magazine yet, please head over there at latinachicaspeaksmagazine.com and check out the various categories that include art, travel, food, social justice, and more. You can also check out the podcast's Instagram at Intersectional Convos. You can also check us out at Twitter at Intersect Convos. You can also contact us directly to our email at intersectionalconversations at gmail.com. Yes, check out the magazine. So many good things to find there. Are you ready for this interview? Yes, I am. Super ready. Yay! Before we start, ladies, I think it would be a good idea to explain to our listeners our title of our podcast, why we started this podcast, and what we plan to do with this podcast. So first of all, in this podcast, you can follow us, Ana, Lisbeth, y Jovita, into our daily lives and the different conversations we've had and are still having around intersectionality, social justice, and the communities we work hard for today. Yes, exactly. And the reason we call this podcast Intersectional Conversation is because we are three Latinas with so many similarities and differences in our life experiences including our academic journeys to where we are today. We want this podcast to be a resource for students who need advice, tips, direction, inspiration, and more. We know what it's like to be first generation, and it has not been easy. You not only may be struggling academically, but you may also find yourself struggling with balancing school with life, family, work, relationships, and much more. So the term intersectional comes from the groundbreaking work of Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, who is a law professor at UCLA today. She introduced intersectional theory and critical race theory in her infamous 1989 article titled, Demarginalization, the Intersection of Race and Sex, a Black Feminist Critique of Anti-Discrimination Doctrine, Feminist Theory, and anti-racist politics, quote, where she showed how three cases involving women of color deserve both a racial analysis and sex analysis. Prior to intersectional theory, court cases involving discrimination were only considered with a single issue analysis. This meant that either the case focused solely on race or solely on sex but never both. Another concern Crenshaw noted was the rise of legal scholars in the 1980s and 1990s talking about color blindness 
and the idea that racism is a thing of the past. Although there's a little bit of hopeful thinking in colorblind theory, the idea that racism or systematic racism is not real is really dangerous. So Crenshaw used her work to challenge these scholars as well. Due to intersectional theory today, court cases do not practice a single issue analysis anymore. And we see the introduction of intersectionality into not law, but also other disciplines and has become a standard approach to critical analysis. We were inspired by this intersectional theory in college and have remained committed and applied it to our daily lives in so many ways. It really has given us the language and the opportunity to talk about what we have always wanted to express. It has also allowed us to challenge racism, classism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia in powerful ways. As you will all get to find out as we go deeper into our journeys. Yes! Hence, our podcast name is perfect for us. And the three of us met while we were pursuing our master's degrees at Cal State LA, which we will eventually get to talk about, but not in this episode. So look out for that episode. It will come out very soon. So come on this journey with us. And thank you for giving us a chance. So for our very first question ever, who are we and what are our degrees in? So my name is Jovita Murillo Leon. I was born and raised in Compton. Uh, I represent Compton, Watts, South Central. Those are my communities that are very dear and near to my heart. Um, I just recently graduated with my doctorate in public health. Um, And right now I'm actually teaching. I'm teaching like three classes and then I have, I have like 10 independent study courses. And in addition to, you know, because the hotel's real girl, right? So in addition to that, um, I do research, right? I I analyze data. I'm an analyst. Um, And I still got to look for jobs because this girl just just graduated, right? So one of the, you know, one of the things I'm learning and one of the conversations I was having with someone recently is that when you become a, you Mm -hmm. know, a scholar, um, it's like you always have something to do. <laughs> no, there's not. Especially for teachers, I think um we share that that our work never ends. Mm-hmm. You know, our educators, mm-hmm. right? Like, but I want to also recognize case through twelve mm-hmm. educators that we share that mm-hmm. that work keeps going. Sometimes we even after school we're still working hard on our classes, not just our work. Right? Yeah, and then supporting students, girl, which is. You know, I feel like yes. teaching is not for me. It's not. It's not just about teaching, right? And and having the students understand the material. It's mentoring my students because I want to yes. be able to drop that little that little seed, right, and leave something with yes. them, right, that they could take on yes. to, to and implement or or, or or advocate or algo, right? Um, <laughs> you know, so so you know, it's mentoring my students, and and and, and I and I have a huge responsibility. For my students and yeah and, I, and I, I love my work I love my job yeah this is why we're doing this today guys because we love mentoring and we love um giving our knowledge and lived experiences to our students so why not do it at a more uh, bigger 
platform like a podcast yes yes and because yeah you know students really need to hear our perspectives i think that we're just not you know graduate students right we're latino we're we're minorities in the system that quite literally wasn't created or invented for us (laughs) and and so how do you navigate it how do you survive you know what type of coping mechanisms do you adopt like you know is it worth Mm -hmm. it is it you know What's the end? What's the return on investment for me, right? So, and we need to have these serious conversations. Yes, and we hope this helps people, right? Yes. So, and so for me, like you said, I'm, my name's Anna. Um, I am also going by Latina Chica at the magazine. Um, and I grew up in Inglewood, California, and my degree is in. Chicano studies, but I also have a bachelor's in ethnic studies, and I like to believe that um, when I do receive my PhD this year, yes, yes, that I can teach ethnic studies versus just focusing on Chicano studies, but open to it, and um, I'm sure if people don't know what the difference is, there really isn't a difference, it's more, ethnic studies is more of an umbrella a discipline that acknowledges Black studies, African-American studies, um, Pan-African studies, depending on how these departments identify themselves. Um, Also, Latin studies, Latin American studies, uh, Latino studies, Latinx studies, or um, Asian American studies, uh, Native American studies, stuff like that. Central American studies. Central American studies, which is also a fairly new discipline, just like Latin American studies. So, um, it's good that we start to see uh, more specific disciplines, but also um, just in terms of being an interdisciplinary educator and scholar, you want to be also open to teaching multiple um, bodies of knowledge that speak to each other, right? So um, that's why I want to go as an ethnic studies professor, but I am by training my PhD as Chicano studies and my master's. What about you, Lisbeth? Tell them a little bit about you, amiga. Well, unlike both of you, I'm not a professor. I grew up in Wilmington, California, went to Banning High. I'm a daughter of immigrants and was the first to head out out of my household to the university. I hold a bachelor in Latin American Latino studies, emphasis in politics, minor in education from UC Santa Cruz. Then 10 years later, after I graduated with my bachelor, I went back to school. Yay! It was the perfect time to go to grad school. This is when I met you ladies. Um, we gravitated to each other. I hold a Master in Latin American Studies with a focus in Latin American Art History. Then I finished with the Master's and I was able to obtain a post-bachelorate in Women, Gender, and Sexualities. This was hard at this time in my early 30s as I was investing in myself, not knowing what it would open up for me, but what pulled me in was the was intersectionality, the theory, critical race theory, and looking using that lens to um, study Latin American art history 
to study political art history, to study the the emphasis of third world, the health issues, the disparity of health issues, and um, and I would say we don't have to go to into the third world. We can look into our communities. But my concern was, what about it? What's happening in front of our face with women's health? You know, why are women getting sterilized? Why are women of color? Um, why is there infant deaths? Why are immigrant women or women who speak a different language than English being treated differently in the health system here? And the concern was um, women's health here, and how are how is who has access to healthcare and who doesn't? So intersectionality, the theory, really helped me. It opened it up more. It, it allowed for a braiding to exist, trenzar, because we should, we sh there's a lot of um, connections. Also, what it pulled me was we need to put this into practice. There has to be a combination. Oh my God, amiga. So true. So, for our main question, we wanted to ask. What was your first year experience like as a woman of color from a working class background? And as Lisbeth has pointed out, also as children of immigrants, what was that experience like, not only for us, but for them? Do you want to start first, Jovita? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. So, you know, my, my story is, 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 is funny, right? Um, so I'm, I'm the oldest of my family. I, I have uh, four younger siblings. And so as the oldest, right, uh, I had to learn how to do a lot of these things by myself, right? I didn't have anybody really supporting me, right? I mean, I did have, you know, uh, teachers and I did have counselors, right? But for the most part, mm -hmm. we always do most of the stuff, right? Entonces, right. so then I started applying to UCs and, 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 and I got to say, and I got to acknowledge that I went to a high school that is a magnet high school. So if anything, they really, you know, they really prepare students to go on to college, right? And so, and I'm, and and, I, mm -hmm. and that's privilege, right? With that brings privilege. If you go to a magnet high school, um, or any type of like, um, what do you call them? Um, like charter yes, type of yes. schools. Then, then, mm -hmm. then technically, you, 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 your education is different, right? So then, um, right. so then I apply to college and I apply to UCs. Everything that I, the, the 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 financial aid waiver could take, right? If it was four UCs, mm -hmm. four UCs. If it was seven Cal States, seven Cal States. And the, <laughs> whatever they gave you for free, you took them and you yeah, applied to girl, wherever you could. If I could, yes. And so, so then I realized I only when I was applying to UCs, I had selected UC Santa Barbara, UC Santa Cruz. I think it was UC Irvine. And I forget, I think it was UC Davis, right? Because I always knew that I wanted to be as far away from my family as possible, right? I'm 17. Mm -hmm. I, I, at that time, my parents were very, 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 very strict. And so, right. so then finally, I don't, you know, I don't get into the school that I wanted to get to. I wanted to stay a little bit closer to Los Angeles. And, and so I wanted to go to Santa Barbara. And then they ended up accepting me under remedial status, which basically means like you got to go to a community college, take some remedial classes and then transfer to us. Right. 
And mm-hmm. I said, no, I don't want to do that because I just want to get out of my house, right? And so, mm-hmm. so then I ended up, uh, <laughs> I ended up, you know, I looked at, uh, at uh, you know, and my options and I said, you know, I'm just going to go to Santa Cruz. Girl, tell me why my parents sat me down and they were like, mija, so what you're gonna, where are you going to go? And I'm like, pues, Santa Cruz? And my dad looks at me, he's like, do you know where it's at? Girl, girl, I didn't know where it was at. I didn't even know such, you know, that there was a, there was a, a city called Santa Cruz, girl. I thought that was the, name of the, of the school, right? Not the city. So my dad is looking at me like, I know you're bullshitting me, right? And I'm like, and I'm over here, right. toda, toda confiada, right? Toda con, like, you know, like, like, like feeling so proud of myself because, you know, here I'm, I'm being an adult and I'm telling them, no, I'm going to go to Santa Cruz. They're giving, my mom is about to start crying. My dad is giving me the bullshit look, you know? And, and then wow. my mom says, bueno, mija, like, if you leave, just know that you, you're going to come here as a guest, right? You know, you're never going to mm. come back as as, as someone that could stay in this house. And, and, and let me tell you, to this to this day, she kept a word, right? Oh my and my dad at that time, I had, um, I had my, my cousins, you know, my, cousin, my, my cousins and I were really, really close. And they ended up moving to Arkansas because my tia felt like they could get a better education and a better life in Arkansas, right? And they ended mm-hmm. up getting pregnant. So, so then my dad is looking at me and he's like, okay, if you leave, and if you get pregnant, that's on you. You better not come back pregnant into this house. And they sat me down, girl. And instead wow. of telling me, you know, que Dios te bendiga, mija, like, you know, I'm so proud of you. Girl, they scolded me. It was still policing your yeah. body. And it's still um, feeling like they have no control mm-hmm. over us anymore when we leave yes. the house to go to college. Yes. And so with that consejo, girl, my, my I don't know where Santa Cruz says that, right? <laughs> I, I leave to Santa Cruz and that's when I realized yeah. I was like six, seven, eight Aww. hours away from, from home. But at that moment, I think, you know, uh, I needed to be away from my house. You know, there was a lot of trauma that, that mm-hmm. had to happen. I just went, and then, you know, there's this family right. trauma and then there's community trauma that, that, you know, often students from inner cities tend to experience. Right. And I think you, you from Inglewood yeah. and me from Compton, you know yes. what we're talking about, you know, growing up in the nineties, eighties, we have yes. stories you know so you make it yes, salir, girl like I and how yeah. do I explain my par- to my parents like I, I I literally need a little break y'all like I've been seeing a lot of shit go down here in the house and in the streets like I, I right. need out for just for a quick minute I need to refresh right. now that I that, now that I'm an mm-hmm. older head you and uh, like I feel like if I would have if I would have had the tools girl to really be able to explain myself and talk to my parents and tell them like that, that, you know, I just needed a break, you know, from all the hot mess that was happening mm-hmm. really. And that's why I decided to leave so far away. But we're still so young. I mean, at least, you know, I, and you and I went to college kind of more traditional. We went straight out of high school. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, we're still young mm-hmm. and we're still figuring it out. So um, and like you, and I'll get into it, I was the same. I was thinking I wanted to get away from my trauma at home and my community, you know, what I was looking, where I was growing up or what I was seeing was going on around me, you know? Mm-hmm. 
So you left to Santa Cruz and what did you get your degree in? So I ended up, I started as, uh, I was going to be, I started as a chemistry major. Then I realized all of the chemistry uh, majors were taking their classes before um, the fall. And I was like, hell no, dude. I had gotten a job at Big Lots, girl, and that was going to give me the money that I that I needed to survive in Santa Cruz, right? For a few, for a few months, right? right? So I was like, I can't do that. Yeah. So then, the hustle. <laughs> you know, girl, and then it's the, yep. um, and so then I said, I declared myself a math major, but I had a horrible experience with one of the professors, right? And that's a whole different conversation we could have a, at a whole different time. Yes, girl. Maybe this future yes. Um, yes. podcast episode for our first year experiences or our, or our bachelor's yes. experience. Or changing your major I... and how it's okay to change your major, right? Yes. This is our small break in between episodes to let you know about our sponsors. If you or anyone you know wants to start a podcast, we highly recommend the Anchor app. The Anchor app is absolutely free and super easy to use. You can record with anyone, anytime, anywhere, with your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast to multiple platforms, such as Spotify and Google Podcasts. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And it's absolutely free. So what are you waiting for? Download the Anchor app today or check out anchor.fm. We can't wait to hear your podcast. You know, oh, because I am a breed, right? I am a mix, sorry, a mix of... of, of uh... But remember, science is, is a rarity for Latinas, for women of color. It's still rare to see women women of color in STEM programs yeah, like that, you know? So don't think that you're boring somebody because somebody isn't getting this info because we're not in these fields and sometimes these very people want to keep it that way so so (laughs) then I go chemistry math and then I go Latin American studies and I always have this thing like and and I have to give you some 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 background right info like like Mm -hmm. I was raised in Compton in the in the late 80s 90s right that meant that most of the teachers and most of the people in Compton were one when Compton was predominantly uh, sorry African-American Two, most of the teachers there were from the South, right? So nobody knows this, mm-hmm. but but there was a huge migration from people from the South into Compton because it was one of the cities, very few cities in Los Angeles that people could own houses in. And remember, we, and then the redlining is a whole different discussion mm-hmm. than maybe we could have another time, right? Um, which is my yes. research, right? My dissertation. Um, but um, so then we have teachers from the South, African-American women teaching students, um, not just the traditional curriculums that they have they they um they they instilled in us the 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 power of 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 social justice and advocacy and 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 how you represent your community but you also represent the you represent um your your ethnic community and and your and your and you know and your location and and, and other com- and the people that you grew up with in my case african americans right so I mm-hmm. I have a strong background in that, right? And again, like I think that mm-hmm. that's the most beautiful thing that any teacher could have done. But that's that's black woman's magic right there, right? That they're able to at a very mm-hmm. young age to teach you. You know, again, we're in elementary, and we were able to understand some of these big big ass concepts, girl. They were able to bring it down to the level that we were able to 
that we understood what they were saying, right? So then I, yeah. I go to, Sa- to Santa Cruz. Santa Cruz is all hippie, girl. <laughs> so I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, I had my first cultural shock because I'm straight from the hood, right? Girl, mm-hmm. all I see have been mm-hmm. black faces my whole life. Compton at that time, <laughs> Compton again was predominantly African American, but the next uh, ethnic group that was there, um, that that high like a high number of people, like a like a large number of 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 of, of people from from that particular ethnic group was Samoans, right? So we're talking right. about African American mm-hmm. Samoans and Latinos, right? So right. so again, quite literally, all brown and black people, right? So then right. I go here and I'm like, what the what the yeah, what is girl, this? I don't have to blur me up. But I literally, when I get there, girl, I was like, what the fuck is this? What the fuck did I get myself into? I feel you. I went to, I went even further than you, you know. Um, I went to Humboldt State, which is um six more hours up north, almost the last Cal State before you hit Oregon. And same population. I mean, not same people, I'm sure. Different um culture in some ways, but um hippies and predominantly Mm -hmm. white you know which is not what I was used to either I was used to black and black folks and brown folks in Inglewood have always coexisted and lived together Mm -hmm. so um that's what I was used to I and I also had you know Samoans Tongans um in in the area I would live in so it's it's diverse Mm -hmm. it's not in terms of um non-white ethnic groups um but when you go over there it's like you really understand and i hate the word but uh, what um what it feels like to be quote-unquote the minority because you really are put in that position and you're alienated and you definitely can sense that hey uh you don't look like everybody else and they definitely yeah either that or they're gonna right and and either one is not Mm -hmm. fun so um it's just it was just it was experiences that like yourself we had never experienced before it just wasn't existent when we were in our own neighborhoods right we were used to maybe well I was to working class or white living in my community uh not that many Uh, in my school a, a few more you know um and that was it you know but it wasn't it was never a racist interaction like it was these white students in our schools wanted to be there and they wanted to be in the mix with brown folk black folk and whoever else you know um so now I look back and I appreciate it but I know that at the time we made fun of them so hard yeah. all the time, you know, but I remember they were like, I'd rather be here than in like South High, which is like way Richie High School by the beach, you know, so different, you know, so I get you. And for me, since I am in the topic of where I went to school to Humboldt, uh, I got, like I said, my degree in ethnic studies. But I had originally, like you, changed my major from actually journalism to uh, ethnic studies. And my story, and I talked about it in a different podcast before, so if anybody wants to look back at that, um, it was kind of, or not kind of, it was super traumatic. And it 
in that particular department, I realized that I was, quote unquote, the minority in the whole department and that the conversations they were having was from people who were never around people of color for the most part. So um, getting called out for biases or ignorant statements, it was new to them. And at one point, it sounded like 2021 campaigning, right? It was like freedom of speech, like you can't stop us type of thing. Um, and I learned real quick that there was a difference in the way that they even treated me as a woman of color in the department and what how they were gonna proceed um, to how they treated the white students, you know, which in the end, and if you listen to that podcast, they treated them way better than me. And I walked away, you know, because I I tried to stay, you know, and I tried to be, you know, the warrior that we are, you know, and I just, at the end of it, I, I feel like I kind of did some detriment to myself because I forced myself every week for five days, almost a week, um, to face these people who were so extremely mm-hmm. rude to me, you know, and you can't take that back but you can definitely learn from it and I think that experience itself um, definitely influenced how traumatized I was with the university and how they handled um, diversity or or even just racial harassment if you can call that in Mm -hmm. the classroom you know Um, and I don't think I believed in the university after that. You know, Mm -hmm. I never trusted them, even in my PhD program. So, and we'll get to other things, but I definitely always felt on edge. Like, if anything was to go down, I always knew I had to defend myself by myself. You know, which is a horrible thought. And and sadly, so many of us who go into higher education, um, and the higher you go, the more you feel that sense of it's just me against the world basically. And, and sometimes you find allies and sometimes you find mm-hmm. really good friends, you know, that you can rely on comrades, but yeah. um, rare, you know. And, and I'm glad, I'm so, glad Anna, that you, you, you mentioned that because, you know, anyone that is listening, just because you're brown or just because you're black doesn't mean that you're going to be an ally. Does it mean that this person is going to advocate for you or, or even understand your experience, right? Mm-hmm. And I think for me, I, yeah. I felt like that um, throughout, I, I, I felt like that throughout, throughout all my years in, in college, right? And up to recently in, 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 in my doctorate where I'm like, God damn, I'm the only Latina that advocates, right? That there's no other Latina in this program that advocates, right? Pero, eh, pero I know yeah. this. I know that I I know who I know who I am and I know yeah. and I know the type of and and I and I guess I'm still coming into terms with that you know with with si ya sabes como eres right don't expect other people to be like you right right so, yeah <laughs> which sucks you know but um, sometimes we have to accept the differences mm-hmm. and that's okay differences are okay it's just hard to accept when we're looking for you know a community Mm -hmm. in these places and it's hard Mm -hmm. to build one when people's personal agendas are not 
um, prioritizing building mm -hmm. a community within departments. It's more like a mm -hmm. collegial ship, which is fine. It's a professional mm -hmm. space. But for some of us, we're hoping mm -hmm. we can build a community within these spaces because it's what mm -hmm. makes us feel safe. It's what makes us feel happy, um, loved, cared about, mm -hmm. supported, all these things that um, we deserve. And and sadly, it's hard to build that on a university that's not trying to collaborate and it's not trying to talk to the community outside of the four walls you're in, you know, and it's not trying to go outside into the community and welcome them in. I mean, how many times have you or I seen the community actually come to our to our schools and mm -hmm. check out the library or uh, eat there mm -hmm. with their families? Mm -hmm. Never, you know, never. That's, that's mm -hmm. almost never, you know, so um, I think there is a separation between the university and the communities, you know, and I'm, and I'm not talking about just where we went, you know, if you look at USC, it sits in the hub of mm -hmm. black and brown and so many communities. And yet, you don't see that in the university, it is a, it is a fenced community that does not want the outside protruding in no matter how much they research it um it's and, and not girl, part of it you know and and there's people of color there that are trying their best yeah, i'm not but trying no, to say but, that you know that but yeah pero um, girl, it just like, we're not there USC, girl like if you look at the number of faculty of color they have um for for a for mm -hmm. its location i'm like you could do much better you, you could do so much so better, much better right? you're so right um, Pero, you know, just from conversations right. from people that, that, that work there and, and people that have gone there, you know, that's not their purpose. You know, that, that's, not, that's not their focus. Yeah. And what was your experience like, Lisbeth? In 1994, Miss Valbuena, a white lady who grew up very poor in Wilmington. She was married to a Chicano. Um, she was, at that time the volleyball coach, and also doing part-time something, something with counseling. Um, she did not speak no Spanish, but she did grow up in Wilmington. She lived right across from Gulf Avenue, so she was, she knew the neighborhood. She grew up in that neighborhood. Um, she took me out of class because I had a 3.0 GPA uh, in the main classes in English, math, um, I had passed already algebra. So she told me that I had, she was like, wow, you have a 3.0. And she, she took me out of class. That's when I met her for the first time. <laughs> and she said, you need to apply. She didn't tell me if I wanted to. She said, you need to apply for the UCs. Fill this out. Bless her heart. She changed my life. I did not, I just filled it out. I put my name, my address, and on the academic section, she said, I'll fill it out. I saw that it cost like money, $40. And she said, I'll fill that out too. You're getting a waiver. Um, and she asked, have you ever been outside of Wilmington? Uh, 
Zacatecas, Tepechlan, Mexico. Um, <laughs> I, I see her smiling at me. Um, she said, okay, let's do this. You see Santa Cruz, you see Riverside. I, I, I was just nodding. Um, she, she did not put, she put Santa Cruz, Riverside, um, and Santa Cruz, Riverside, and Santa Barbara. Um, the fee waiver was for three schools, I believe. She asked me if I wanted San Diego, and I said, no, not, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not interested in living in San Diego, and I guess because of driving over there whenever we had a drive to Tijuana or something. But I didn't know anything about Santa Cruz or, or Santa Barbara or Riverside. That was nice. So then that's when I started my academic journey because of that situation. My Oh, she mailed it. Um, she had me at that moment write my personal statement, and there was typewriters, so she... She saw what I wrote on a piece of paper, and she did tell me, you should start by saying your name. You know, your name is, and you live in Wilmington, um, and then talk about yourself. And then I sat in the typewriter, and I typed it up. Off we go. Next thing you know, she starts looking for me. Um, you should participate in this meeting. There's an orientation. You should come to the library. And I would just come go. I would go. I got accepted. I'm a, I'm a, I get emotional. <laughs> Amiga, take your time. Um, I got accepted to UC Santa Barbara. I got accepted to UC Santa Cruz. And I got accepted to UC Riverside. Um, I'm a proud student of affirmative action. So I was accepted within the program. Um, next thing you know, my parents, we drive up. My whole family drove me up to Santa Cruz. I, I accepted Santa Cruz because it had so many, it had so beautiful pictures, beautiful pictures, um, and it was right next to the ocean. Was there in the summer of 1995, and I did not understand what Summer Bridge was or the affirmative action because I'm from Wilmington. Like, it's whatever I see in Wilmington, whatever I have access in Wilmington. So it's not like I knew what this was about. What I did know was 100 students walked into Summer Bridge of 1995. And out of 100 students, about 25, 26 of us graduated. That's affirmative action. I was one of those 26 students who graduated. Out of 26 students by the, who enrolled, that just dwindled to less. So about five or six dropped out, didn't come back, not even dropped out, did not enroll in the fall. So now you're looking at less than 20. Um, in the fall, and we would see each other, we would see our faces, and that's when you start having, like, you're able to get academic advice, you're able to um, to get tutoring, but the tutoring was available for everybody. 
So at UC Santa Cruz is where I learned how to read and write. It's where I learned how to write essays, where I learned that I could speak. That or and I had professors. <laughs> I had professors, and that was amazing. I had professors, and the professors at Santa Cruz, 1995. I mean, would always tell me, "You have an experience. Speak about living in Wilmington. Speak about." And I would just naturally say, like, there's one million dollars that comes into the port, and Wilmington doesn't get anything, and we're there, and we we live there, and we smell it, and there's refineries all around. Um, why are why is my neighbor sick? Why are people sick around me? Why is my that's when my mom, like a couple years later, start had cancer for the first time. Why? So many people getting cancer in that area. Um, I'm a, so that's my experience. And in Santa Cruz, it was it was beautiful. Um, Santa Cruz was amazing. Santa Cruz was beautiful. I'm a 17 year old student, and I just I'm touching the universe. I I had no idea that so much existed outside of Wilmington. And that really has been an element in my drive. Um, I don't say it out loud, but I know that it's something that drives me. Of I always want to go into the, to the, to the unknown, like, I just think I had a really a, a mind-blowing experience when I went into Santa Cruz coming from Wilmington. Yes, there was lots of difficult situations, how to navigate, how to read, how to write, how to pay, I need this, how to work. Um, but just having, going in there fearless has really inspired me to go into many things in my life, um, let it be jobs or grad school or moving around California. Um, fearless, wanting, wanting, a, wanting to create access and justice in scale. Wow, we've all had quite the journey. That's all we have for you guys today. We hope you enjoyed our very first episode of Intersectional Conversations with Mujeres Profesionales. And of course, before we go, don't forget to follow our podcast and subscribe to our magazine. Check out our magazine online at latinachicaspeaksmagazine.com. 
Follow us on Instagram at Latina Chica Speaks or follow us on Twitter at Latina Chica One or email us at Latina Chica Speaks at gmail.com. We have various platforms in which we have our podcast streamed. So if you're listening to our podcast on a platform you're not used to or you don't listen to often, then please go onto our website and click on podcast on our menu and check out all the various platforms and maybe we have the platform you do enjoy listening from. You can also check out our podcast series Instagram page at Intersectional Convos and our Twitter account at Intersect Convos. You are also welcome to always email us any questions or any feedback or any suggestions at intersectionalconvos at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please like, follow, and share. You can also donate to our podcast now with the link in our description where it says support this podcast. We really greatly appreciate your support. We could not do this without you. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of Intersectional Conversation with Mujeres Profesionales. See, until next time. Bye, everyone. Thank you for joining us.